Hi there, I'm Andy Cave. You're listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast, where we delve into people's stories, their adventures, their partnerships, the places they love, and find out what makes them tick. Here's a taste of what's in store. Yes, I started climbing in Leeds in October, and then it would have been a year and a half later that we climbed the nose. Every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes, we'd hear this huge, like, avalanche or rock fall, like tumbling down one of the walls or somewhere around us. The cool thing about climbing on Baffin Island is that in the summertime, uh, it's 24 hour daylight. We were climbing alpine style, like fast and light in a push. Basically means start at your base camp, climb the mountain for as long as it takes you to climb the mountain, get to the top, get down the mountain as long as it takes you and then get back to your camp and then you can sleep. I've heard people say this before that like the mountaineer is never satisfied. Like they sit at home wishing they were on a trip and then they're on a trip like wishing they were in the comfort of their home. (laughs) Being on a poor ledge, just like in the middle of a blank cliff face, it just feels like the most wild and like ridiculous place for a human being to find themselves. Our guest is Bronwyn Hodges. Bronwyn, a Canadian, was brought up in an outdoor family and went on to become a professional river guide at a very young age. Oddly enough, it was in Yorkshire, while studying at Leeds University, that she began rock climbing. In Leeds, she also met her future husband, Jacob Cook. The pair now live in Squamish in British Columbia, and together they have crammed in plenty of big wall expeditions. With friends, they spent 35 days paddling and climbing through Ayatuk National Park on Baffin Island, climbing some of the biggest and remotest walls in the world. They floated down some of the rivers on inflatable pink flamingos and made time at the end of their trip to take local Inuit children rock climbing. Bronwyn has a lot of energy. You get the impression she's happiest sleeping on a portal ledge or navigating white water. She's someone who obviously loves a big adventure where the outcome is uncertain and she loves sharing her passion with others. Sit back and enjoy Bronwyn sharing her journey so far. Great to meet you virtually, Bronwyn. So you are actually, describe where you are. I can see you're surrounded by a lot of, uh, I don't know, like duvets. You're inside a closet. (laughs) Inside the clothing closet. Yep. (laughs) Nice, inventive. Uh, Probably quite good acoustics though. So yeah, you've packed a lot into your life. So I'm thinking, I don't know. I mean, you look quite young. How have you, have you managed it? How old are you? I'm 28. I just turned 28. Yeah, young. So you've been busy. I mean, originally from, you're not from uh, Squamish originally, no? Where are you from? No, I grew up in Ontario, close to Ottawa. That's quite a long way away, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, about five days. It took us five days to drive across when we moved west. Yeah, I checked down the train. It said it's, 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 what did it say? 84 hours by train. I don't know. In our country, you don't really take trains. You just drive everywhere. So five days driving in a personal vehicle. Sure. That's, well, that's that's where you were from and brought up in a, an adventurous outdoor family or how did you get into the outdoors? Yeah, from from the start. Both my parents were, were big on the outdoors um, growing up. We were um, like skiing every winter, canoeing every summer, hiking on family trips, camping on family trips. Everything except rock climbing. There wasn't any rock climbing where I grew up, so I didn't know about that. But I definitely dabbled in every other uh, outdoor sport I could. You were a rafting guide for a number of years. So was that your big passion early on? Yeah, that was sort of a family thing. So, I mean, and I share the passion as well. 
Um, so my parents actually were both river river guides uh, in the 80s, and that's how they met through uh, through paddling and through whitewater. And they were both working as guides in the 80s together, uh, guiding these huge northern river trips um, in Canada. And so as soon as like I have a brother and a sister, um, and the five of us would be you know, out canoeing as soon as <laughs> as soon as I could sit in the bottom of a canoe, I was I was canoeing. Nice. Um, so, so family holidays are like, I would imagine, big, adventurous, multi-day trips. And yeah, yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. I mean, any, any, any uh, highlights? Anything you, you know, trips that spring to mind, or any epics? I mean, it's quite a. <laughs> so, five of you in, in, would you be in double kayaks, or how would it work? Um. So, actually, um, what my family does a lot of is is whitewater canoeing, which is maybe a little bit of a, a foreign idea for uh, for Brits. But so we're in an open boat canoe, um, traditional canoe, uh, but they're actually made of plastic called ABS, which you can you can take, they can take quite a beating. They actually, even if they bend out of form, if you wrap around a rock or something in yeah. a rapid, you can actually, that, they're pretty resilient. They can bend, bend back into shape. And um, then we put um, spray skirts over top. So almost like a kayak skirt, but you actually cover the entire, um, canoe with this skirt. So we're in tandem, tandem open boat canoes with full with all of the gear, um, for a, for a multi-day, multi-week, um, river journey. And then you put spray skirts over top to stop the water from, from filling in. Yeah. Sounds and then you can run, yeah. These long whitewater river trips, um, fully self-sustained, uh, self-sustained. Um, awesome. like I mean, you've done some pretty adventurous trips with people as well. I mean, I I, I heard you did a was it a fifty day to a fifty two day trip with ten. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like you know most of my most of my friends that are teachers say that you know one day with 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 ten eighteen year olds was quite a challenge. But fifty <laughs> do fifty two days. Uh, where, where was that? Tell us a bit. Yeah, so that was in that was in twenty sixteen. Oh, twenty seventeen. 2017, I guess. Um, so I spent the whole summer, two months, 52 days um, in Northern Canada with uh, myself and one other co-guide um, and 10, 18 year olds. Um, and the trip was, I think we covered about 600 kilometers over the course of two months, moving moving camp every day as we went down the river. Um, and yeah, we, we had one food drop at exactly halfway and that was the only other human being that we saw the entire the entire two months beyond the 12 of us. Which is a pretty pretty cool experience. Yeah, I mean, when you when you you know compared to us, I'm I'm thinking being in Europe. Like I work, you know, quite a lot as a mountain guide in the Alps, and it's you know, you always think that you can get a helicopter if you really need one in about <laughs> minutes or half an hour. It's going to be a little bit different out there. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely if you're calling for a rescue, parts of northern Canada, like it will be several days before someone can get to you. And climbing, so. When did that kick off? When did you get into climbing? I know you spent some time in Leeds, is that right? At university? Yeah, so, yeah, those those come together. So um, I actually started climbing in England. Um, I went on exchange to Leeds Uni for my third year of my undergrad degree. Um, and yeah, I arrived in Leeds, didn't know anyone, had never been to Europe before. Um, I guess I was 19 um, and I just went to the pressure week fair to find out what clubs I could join to make some friends and I saw the rock climbing club and thought oh wow and, uh, Arms Cliff I would imagine you graced <laughs> yeah I spent a lot of time in Arms Cliff yeah 
oh, I just went all in. I basically signed up for the club and then went on. They had weekend trips running every weekend to various crags around the UK. And I just signed up for every single one of them. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because the gritstone cliffs around there, and obviously there's bigger limestone cliffs. They're quite small, but you need quite a lot of technique. They can pack quite a lot in, can't they? Considering they're such small cliffs. Yeah. And I mean, I had so much to learn. Like I, they, you know, I'd never tried this before. So I was going from, they were teaching me how to tie a figure eight knot. So um, it's definitely like a pretty exciting year from, yeah, learning and a but lot I, of rock climbing. Did you find anything of the mindset from all your experiences in sort of wild places and kayaking could help at all? Or was it just, did it feel like this was just something totally different really? I think that elements such as being very comfortable in discomfort, I guess, <laughs> like, being able to know that something was challenging or know that find something really difficult and then want to push myself and um, having the confidence to, to push myself in like an adventure sport. I think, I think that would be the only place that would overlap. The actual skills themselves are pretty different. I feel like kayaking is almost a bit more like skiing where you're, you're, once you start, you're kind of going through the rapids and you have to make quick decisions. Whereas climbing is so much slower paced. I guess you can have say a lot in climbing, can't you, if it gets really bad most of the time as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying there are some overlaps and like just being so comfortable like outside and camping and getting, yeah, out of my comfort zone. And So you met your, you met your uh, life partner, your husband, Jacob Cook there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, now you're based out in Squamish. And I mean, how, how long was it from Leeds to doing your first big wall? the nose and of El Capitan. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I started climbing in Leeds in October and then it would have been a year and a half later that we climbed the nose. Um, May 2014. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty quick. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I mean, obviously what I want to, I'd really like to talk about your trips uh, further afield to Baffin and the Yukon. Cause I mean, it's one thing to climb, you know, I mean, the nose, it's obviously an impressive wall. And I know you've, you've, you've been back and done free rider, which is a much more difficult um, um, climb. But still to sort of take that kind of style and move to somewhere like Baffin Island. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Where you've got huge walls, but in the middle of nowhere. I think this is where really my sort of, the hobby of these, my passion and experience growing up from these like long self-propelled, self-sufficient um, river adventures, um, really combining that sort of attitude of knowing how to pack for a trip like that, how to plan for a trip like that, how to exist in, a, in an environment for that long. All of those things combined with all the climbing skills and the technical skills of rock climbing, you put them together and you get something like Baffin Island. And so I think that was something that was really exciting for me because I felt like I could draw these tools from all these various different parts of my life and bring them all together to kind of meet in the middle. And on that trip, you had um, a couple of really old friends from preschool, right? Thor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on the trip, we, we um, it was four of us on the trip on the expedition to uh, Baffin Island last summer. It was uh, Jacob and I, and then two of my childhood friends, Zach and Thor, who, who, so I grew up in a very small town um, in Ontario, uh, kind of like a rural farm town. And the two of them, Zach and Thor, uh, were 
we were in elementary school together. We were in high school together. I mean, what were, what was their experience uh, in terms of you know were they more of kayakers or climbing or neither really or a bit of both or? Yeah, so they both had quite similar upbringing to myself. So a lot of like coming from pretty adventurous uh, families and a lot of outdoor, um, a lot of time spent in the outdoors growing up. We were all on the ski team together through high school. So I think that in terms of being adventurous um, and sort of existing and then living in those sort of environments, we were all um, maybe on a similar um, level going into it. In terms of climbing experience and climbing ability, the two of them definitely had less experience than Jacob and I. You seem to be having, you know, I mean, it's a really, it, was a, it looked like an incredible adventure. Was it like 35 yeah. days, the whole trip? And yeah. I mean, one of the problems with, I would love to go to Baffin Island. For people who've, who are listening who, who don't really know much about Baffin Island, you, you may remember Brits anyway, that kind of famous scene on the, uh, the James Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, in the <laughs> 70s, where I think the stuntman Rick Sylvester sort of base, skis and then base jumps off, doesn't he, off Mount Asgard, which is one of the things that you climbed. Um, and then obviously Doug Scott, in the first ascent of, of, of Mount Asgard. It's a place I've always wanted to go to. But one of the problems with uh, climbing in Baffin Island is, as I understand, is you want to be there in summer because a lot of the time it's just so cold there. But then it's yeah. when you actually get to the walls in the interior when the ice is melting and there's rivers. So how did you overcome that? What was your plan? And how did you actually access the mountains, the big walls in there? Um, so I guess there, there's kind of two different areas of Baffin Island that, that people, that expedition climbers go to. The area on the sea fjords um, further up the coast, that's like Sanford Fjord and the Polar Sunspire. That area is a lot more challenging to access um, just because of exactly the timing that it's quite far from any community and you have to go in. It's easier to get there by snowmobile, but then when you want to actually be there, you want there's the ice to have melted because you want it to be warmer um the area we went to is actually inland uh, so we were in an area called Ayatuk National Park it's a national park but it sees very few visitors compared to I mean comparing it to like a national park further south is kind so of funny, not but. quite as busy as Yosemite then yeah exactly I think it's more like it's a protected area uh, yeah. but yeah so the the standard method for people going into Ayatuk to Mount Thor or Mount Asgard um, is to start in the community of Pangertung, which is where we started, and then um, have a boat ride all the way up the, like a motorboat ride all the way up the fjord to the valley and then hike up from there. Um, and so kind of in the spirit of trying more of these like self-propelled um, adventures, we actually um, started in the Inuit community and then pack rafted from there. So we had these inflatable pack rafts that we paddled up this the Arctic Ocean um, fjord and then arrived at the valley, which point we packed up the pack rafts, hiked all the way up to Mount Asgard and the up the glacier, onto the glacier um, under Mount Asgard. How long did that take from, you know, the, the sort of hiking and the rafting? and? So we pushed it pretty quickly and we managed to do the 30 kilometer paddle actually in one, one push. Um, and then the, it's another 40 kilometers of hiking from there, which I think we did in four days. Um, I'm just thinking how big you, you, your rucksacks are because you've got these rafts. I mean, how much do they weigh? 
Uh, the rafts were tandem rafts, and they were each 13 kilograms, I think. Um, so pr pretty light. It's like, I think that's the spot where multi-sport uh, expeditions have a lot of innovation is happening right now with them. Like, the, like inflatable pack rafts, you know, you can have a fully functional white, uh, these, these things can paddle the ocean, they can paddle white water, and it's 13 kilograms for two people, which is pretty cool. But yeah, it was definitely heavy. We actually... We had a food cache that oh. was, we arranged that winter. So it was a, quite a bit of logistics, but uh, we actually arranged earlier in the winter um, to have a food cache snowmobiled up the valley. So when the ice is frozen, they can, it's a lot easier to access. Um, and so we had a local um, from Pangerton uh, snowmobile, our food cache up the valley and had it stashed kind of three quarters of the way up actually. So that meant our backpacks were st still very heavy, but we were able to approach with just one load instead of having to. So you'd stash some food and things like that. And I'm, I'm wondering what that's in, because uh, we'd imagine if, if, if polar bears get a sniff of that food. Could be... Yeah, yeah. Did you see it any... in, in like animal proof containers? Did you see any polar bears on your trip? We didn't, no. <laughs> Luckily, that that area does see um, does see polar bears occasionally, but not in the summertime. In the summertime, they're at the coast. They're on the coastline uh, hunting seals. And so this inland, we, the, the locals said that they don't get polar bears um, in the summertime. And obviously for the duration of your trip, you didn't see any other humans in there. Um, we did actually. Did. Um, there was one other team of climbers. Um, it was uh, Brian and Thomas uh, from California. And we ended up crossing paths. I think we only shared one night as we were heading back down the valley they were heading up. And so there, were, there was one other team of climbers that year. And it was actually cool because we had, so Jacob and I as the first, um, the first route that we did on Baffin Island was a, uh, we did a, a new route up Mount Asgard. And we actually gave a handwritten topo of our route and they went and repeated it and got the second ascent the next week, which was pretty oh, cool. Fantastic. And I mean, what, the rock quality looks amazing there. Is it as good as it looks? I mean, are you able to climb? Are you worried about loose rock? I mean, what's it like? For an alpine environment, it was like very, very good rock. So yeah, for sure. We're deciding, I mean, we're still choosing to go up. Like we don't want to go up gullies because that's where rocks are all funneling in. You want to be going, choosing lines that are on sort of faces or if anything like concave faces so that the, any rock fall is to tumble away from you like choosing sort of macro to <laughs> to avoid certain like macro features like that um for sure because um yeah it's definitely a lot more rock fall than than somewhere like El Capitan but Do you it was actually interesting when we arrived I think we arrived at the start of July and we had a, a hot a heat wave pretty early on in our trip and I think it must have been the first heat wave of the year the surroundings were crumbling like the first week we were in there every 20 minutes every 30 minutes we'd hear this huge like avalanche or rock fall like tumbling down one of the walls or somewhere around us it was definitely like uh, yeah kind of eerie I guess absolutely and did you spend nights out on the wall did you have to sort of I mean there might be pe people listening who are who are non-climbers keen adventurers so obviously if you're spending the night out and you 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 on little bivy ledges, just rock ledges, or are you taking something like a porter ledge or using your raft or something? How did you various <laughs> routes? Yeah, so a cool, um, a cool thing about climbing on Baffin Island is that in the summertime, 
uh, it's 24 hour daylight. Right. So there's no, there's a, a little, maybe half an hour of dusk, um, but you're basically daytime all the time, which for the style that we were climbing in, we were, we were climbing sort of, I guess the lingo is Alpine style, like fast and light in a push. Um, and so that basically means start at your base camp, climb the mountain for as long as it takes you to climb the mountain, get to the top, get down the mountain as long as it takes you and then get back to your camp and then you can sleep. Um, so you don't need to haul a bag with loads of stuff in it, which is great. Exactly. So that's kind of the benefit of that style is that you can really go with, I mean, we brought minimal sort of equipment in case you want to bring enough in case you do end up having to bivy out there um, just for emergency purposes. But yeah, we're trying to bring sort of the bare minimum and, and move quickly on this like huge train. So I th- I think the longest push that Jacob and I did was 21 hours, but actually our teammates, Zach and Thor, um, one of their routes, um, they did a first ascent on Mount Midgard um, and they were gone for 27 hours. It, in some ways, it's it takes away the the challenge of having to work around the, the sort of nighttime, I guess. You can just start whenever you start, keep going and get down whenever you get down. I guess there's an element of just trying to stay really focused. If you've been climbing for 20 plus hours, yeah. when you're descending, rappelling, and presumably yeah. you having to leave stuff behind on the new routes to rappel. So you, you, mm-hmm. you have to have quite a lot of equipment to sort of sustain you. Because you did a lot of climbing on this trip on different different walls. Yeah. Yeah, so quite often um, we would bring a, like a double set of nuts with us on a route, and then you'd leave most of a set of nuts like on the on the rappels on the way down though often you can we were able to sort of rappel a head wall and then scramble around to the side and be able to scramble a ridge line to get down like you we weren't necessarily rappelling back down the entire route like often the descent line would be slightly different but we were definitely we definitely left um yeah left behind some nuts in order to rappel and did you have a master plan or was it just basically you had a rough idea of what you would like to do and then you sort of went along or was it a little bit more focused than that the different routes and different walls um yeah kind of the the first option we didn't really have an exact plan of what um of what we wanted to climb we knew we wanted to climb mount Asgard. that was kind of the mountain that was most uh, that we were most interested in just the the biggest face the best quality rock climbing kind of the famous um famous one for free climbing up there and then we also definitely wanted to climb mount thor which is in the same valley. Um, and the, the kind of joke there is that one of the team members' name was Thor. So Thor really wanted to climb Mount Thor. Yes, um, yeah. And Mount Thor is also, it's, it's a, a contender. They haven't, it, it's either first, second, or third in the, in the tallest vertical drops in the world. Um, is, is it kind of, over five and a half thousand feet vertical drop, isn't it? Yeah. So the idea, they, the, the wall is actually entirely overhanging so if you drop i think the the measurement is if you dropped a rock from the tip of mount thor it would fall the full nine 900 meters um before it hit something five and a half sort of shards you know the london building or five and a half eiffel towers that's quite that's that's quite a big deal <laughs> yeah so those are the two main um objectives climbing mount asgard and climbing mount thor um and then we we wanted to put up repeat some of the classic routes out there and then also put up some of our own um and so 
yeah, in the end, we and we kind of a combination of really good weather and <laughs> really good luck on on route choosing. Um, we ended up accomplishing all of that and more um, while we were out there. So it was a pretty well, exciting. Well, what did it feel like, you know, at the end of the trip? So you've been in the, such a wild place for such a long time to then sort of coming back to, I'm sure you were sort of uh, looking forward to, you know, showers and things like that. But it's it's a funny time, isn't it? After such an intense experience, coming back to kind of, how was that? I think I've heard this. I've, I've heard people say this before that like the mountaineer is never satisfied. Like they sit at home wishing they were on a trip and then they're on a trip, like wishing they were in the comfort of their home. <laughs> so I think a funny paradox I can sometimes relate to. I think that expedition for me, for sure. And I think for all of us, actually, it was kind of the most dangerous expedition that I'd been on, that we'd been on um, in terms of just like remoteness and, you know, the, the sort of unknowns of these, of going up on new routes and sort of, yeah, just being in that Alpine environment for that long. It definitely, like, I think for the most part, by the time we were finished, we were all feeling really satisfied with, with what we'd accomplished and really excited about our trip, but definitely ready to go home and have not be scared for our lives for a while. Um, I think was the, was the general consensus. But Very yeah. different to, you know, El Cap, isn't it? Where, I mean, how, how long does it take to walk in to El Capitan, the big cliff in humanity? <laughs> without a bag five minutes with a bag 15 minutes quite surreal isn't it to compare the two and then you've got all the kind of well it depends what time of year you you climb there but i mean it, it, some you know it can be very busy can't it in the valley in yosemite and you've got the rangers and i mean obviously oh yeah it's a completely different yeah like there are people everywhere it's a huge like international destination um the the valley floor is filled with people like tourists and hikers and backpackers and and then the the cliff is also filled with I mean if you go up the nose or up free ride or south I like I you're passing teams that. or being passed like every day multiple times a day how, um, do, you, how do you cope with that because obviously you've spent a lot of time in these really wild places um do you just sort of think well that's part that's what it's part of what it is yeah just- I think that that is what Elk Up is I mean it's a super accessible big wall climbers playground I, I mean obviously there's still many like objective hazards and risks involved but it is kind of like a a training ground to then be able to go out to do these sort of big remote expeditions and and if you know it's really accessible so yeah I have no more (laughs) right to be there than all the other climbers that are on the cliff I think we're all practice and learn and that's that's just part of it you can't really be grumpy about that you if you want to climb summer with no people then then book a trip summer with no people like all the like the vast array of other clips around the world once you're on the once you're on the wall i guess you, again you're in your own little world so maybe you, you you free climbed free rider the hoobers <laughs> route on our cat yeah you, everyone knows it because everyone's seen the movie <laughs> or free solo with Paul. well yeah um i mean obviously you, you you've done the route so when you were watching the movie were you able to you know what was it like watching the film of alex honnold soloing that huge route that you'd climbed yeah so actually the timing this is actually kind of cool when I free climbed free rider it was November uh, 2018 and Jacob supported me uh, on my free ascent it was it took five days we slept four nights on the wall um, night five on top and 
yeah, that had been a really big goal of mine for four years leading up to it. The first time I'd climbed on that route was in 2015. So yeah, I guess three and a half years um, since I first saw it to, to when I successfully managed to free climb um, the whole route. Um, and so after my successful free ascent, we came down free solo with Alex Honnold was playing in theaters right then. And we actually went like two days later to the theater and saw it. <laughs> it was the like the most surreal feeling because we had literally been on all of those pitches like three days before. And I knew, I knew every pitch. I knew probably every move. Like I, at every, there was one point in the movie where they, the footage was switched. Like they showed a bit of footage from one pitch and then a bit of footage from another pitch. And I was like, wait a second, that's the wrong order. Like that was pitch 31 and that was pitch 33 and it came after. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool. Like feeling really excited um, about having climbed it and then going and getting to watch like on the big screen, the whole, the route, um, like two days later. With, with popcorn and sort of ice creams, are we, we <laughs> yeah. nervous to, to, to hold the popcorn? I'm, I'm in the, I'm also in the film very briefly. I can't remember what, I don't know what the timestamp is, but so in 2016, I tried the route with my girlfriend, Alex Morris, and she, um, her and I were up there kind of around the middle of the wall and Alex Honnold passed us on a practice mission. And then we kept climbing. We were still climbing. Um, and like three days later, Alex passed us again on a different, on another practice mission. <laughs> and he was like, you ladies are still climbing because <laughs> he's already climbed the route twice and we're still going on it. Oh, so Alex and I ended up climbing the route in seven days that time, which we know that he climbed in. Alex climbs it ultimately in four hours. So <laughs> it's a bit of perspective on how fast that was for him. But yeah, well, while we were on that climb in 2016, one of the, one of the clips of Honnold practicing the crux pitch uh, Alex and I are at the anchor below, kind of blurred out, but I know it's me. <laughs> Which, I mean, there was so there's so much difficult climbing on that route. You know, the lower slabs, you could see that, you know, uh, that you could easily fall off that. And then there's obviously <laughs> what to me looks like the technical crux. I've not done the route where, you, where you're moving out left, which looks kind of terrifying, like a, a long boulder problem, really insecure. <laughs> um, would that be the bit that you think, whoa, you know? Yeah, definitely. I can imagine feeling comfortable being at a at a ability where you could find all of the other pitches secure. If you had like, if you were really strong, had really amazing endurance, and the it the rest of it feels reasonable. But the boulder problem, the pitch in the middle, it's like, I mean, and that's the pitch that for the film he asked to have only remote cameras because he didn't want any of his friends to see him if he fell from there, right? That was the spot he was worried about. Wow. Um, and it's 13A, 7C+, plus, perfectly vertical, tiny razor crimps and super slippery, like polished foot smears. So no, I mean, it's just one of those things that no matter- <laughs> There's just no way that that could ever feel like 100% secure, no way. Wow. Amazing. But you have some interesting memories for you anyway, and great memories. What's it like climbing with your hubby then up on the wall? <laughs> was he, was he, yeah. I mean, how does that work? Obviously you, it must work for you very well. You... Yeah. I mean, Jacob and I, we like, we've been each other's 
sort of primary client partner for <laughs> for the past like I don't know past seven eight years we just have like our systems everything's like feels so easy and just flows and we know exactly what the other person is doing and we really like trust the other person to know know exactly what to do and to make good decisions up there yeah it definitely feels like very comforting and very um like smooth I guess climbing up there together and I think an element of so when you're like doing some sort of goal like free climbing uh, free climbing El Cap and I've supported him on some of his free missions in the valley as well and elsewhere is that oh you like the person who's supporting you you want like when I'm supporting him I want him to to said like I really like I feel almost as invested like as he is to like really want so if we spend an extra day up there if we have to spend you know I'm thinking of when he when Jacob free climbed Mount Watkins and I was supporting him we ended up hanging out in the sun for four hours doing nothing in the middle of the wall under the crux so he could climb it in the dark and then we climbed the whole rest of the route in the dark and finished at like three in the morning just because like that was going to be like the best conditions for him to be able to send or whatever and like I feel like when he's supporting me it's kind of the same like he's going to, I, I know that like I can basically rely on him to do everything he can to to try and like support me and my goals. I, I totally get that I, and from what I've, I know about you um I see that like supporting other people is a bit of a theme in your life and <laughs> as a sort of, um, you know, a kayak guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at the end of your bathing trip as well, you did a really nice gesture where you, you, you had a day where you took local people climbing. Is that right? The local kids. Yeah. Yeah. So this was actually, it was um, my friend Thor, like one of the, the four team members on the trip that really spearheaded the, the sort of local climbing day um, that we did at the end there. So at the end of our, at the end of our trip, we planned a few extra days in the community of Pangerton um, and yeah, took, took a whole group of kids there, like local, local kids rock climbing for a day, just like on these cliffs above the town. And yeah, that was definitely something that was like very important. And it wasn't, it was something that we, um, we actually were planning from like quite a, quite an early planning phase in our expedition that we wanted to make sure that we spent some time in the community and like we didn't want to just like arrive do our own like personal objectives and then get out of there as fast as we could we really wanted to spend some time in the community and and like try and give back something at least while we were there lovely and you and now you're working as a, a rock climbing guide in Squamish mm-hmm. the area we live where of course there's there's some huge cliffs there and, and Squamish <laughs> I've yeah only climbed, I've only climbed on I just had like a day there on a petrifying wall and then a few easy multi-pitch. Oh, nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. And a little bit of kayaking in the Broken Island groups. What an amazing place. But Yeah, I love Squamish. I mean, so Jacob and I moved there without having ever been there before. We just knew that <laughs> as soon as he got his permanent residency for Canada, we were like, we have to live in Squamish. <laughs> and then we drove five days to get there. Um, but it's just beautiful. I mean, it's, it's the Sea to Sky Corridor. It's where the ocean meets the mountains. And so you're like right on, on this fjord off of the Pacific Ocean and it, where it hits the land is where the town of Squamish is. And immediately from there, mountains start rising. Like, I mean, you've just got everything right on the other side of the town. And it's just so beautiful. Mountain biking, skiing, kayaking, yeah. climbing. I mean, world-class bouldering. Pretty. Yeah, it's it's really got everything. I mean, so I've yeah, sports that I hadn't even heard of before. Like it's apparently world class destination for kite surfing, um, just because the the wind in the fjord, I guess, is the sets up the perfect conditions for um, 
for that. And yeah, mountain biking, paragliding, skiing. It, it I, creates, it also means that the community is filled with all of these. It's a very like young, fit, active, outdoorsy community, um, which I also feel like very almost like belonging, I guess. They, they bring some decent beer there as well, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, actually, for a tiny town, there's like a handful of, of local breweries, which is like considering the town is only about, I think, less than 20,000 people. Another place uh, that you, you guys have been um, in, in the Yukon is the Cirque of the Unconquerables, where you have the Cirque mighty the Uncomables. Lotus Flower Tower. When I started climbing, I, I started uh, just in a local mountaineering club in Yorkshire. And there's this old guy who was my mentor, Keith. And there was one route. It was the root of his life, and it was the second descent of the Lotus Flower Tower uh, back in the day. Well, yeah, what, what year would that have been? And he used to talk about it about every two weeks in the pub. And <laughs> so I feel like I know the route. And um, it just looks so amazing. So you went there, and your dad was on the trip. Is that right? So who was on this trip? And tell us a little bit about this. And it sounded like it was another trip where you combine the white water with the Lotus Flower Tower, another huge wall, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a few years back. This is in I think, 2016. So we went to the Lotus Flower Tower in Northern, in Northern Canada. And yeah, just like describing the, the tower. It's, if you're for like a sort of moderate, I think it's 11, 11A, um, which maybe in European lingo is maybe about E4, but it's 20 pitches, 600 meters. And just like, this striking tower that has the first half is a little bit more broken, a bit easier climbing. And the second half of the route is just like 10 pitches of perfect head wall, perfectly vertical, like immaculate granite with splitter cracks running totally parallel up to the summit. It's just like an incredible, incredible um, rock climb. Has your dad done much climbing? <laughs> no. So we went on this trip. It was actually a kind of a family trip. Um, which was really cool for me. So um, on the trip, we had seven people. It was myself and Jacob, um, who kind of we organized, I guess, kind of organized the trip. Zach and Thor, who were the two friends of mine who, who came to Baffin Island uh, three years later. Uh, my brother and my dad and my dad's best friend um, and paddling buddy, uh, Anthony. And so it really was like, I was going on this climbing expedition, but I wasn't going with any of like, climbing friends I was going with my family um who were all like river rats you know but that's kind of what we needed because the plan for this trip was to the lotus flower tower is usually accessed by climbers um via float plane yeah you kind of it's a pretty remote like mountainous area yeah like very (laughs) very very far away from any like roads road access like hundreds of kilometers away (laughs) and so people fly in there um but for us there's actually a river, a whitewater technical river that we were able to paddle. Do you, how do you pronounce it? Nahani? Yeah. yeah. So we started on the Little Nahani River, which is more of a kind of creek style river. And, and then that flowed into the South Nahani, which is actually one of the most famous rivers in Canada. So kind of another layer of, of kind of background to the story is that my parents actually guided the Nahani, the Little Nahani into the Nahani River. So this exact route, they guided this trip together uh, in 1985 and 1986. Nice. So they had actually been on this river and paddled this exact river 30 years earlier. Um, and so for me, having never been on this river, but hearing so much about it to combine the Nahani River with 
the Lotus Flower Tower, which is world famous among sort of alpine climbers, was kind of just almost <laughs> like too good to be true. So what was the, how much kayaking is there to get into the area then? So this, this trip actually ended up being predominantly a river trip. Um, we had, it was a week of paddling. I'm pretty technical, like up to class four um, paddling to get um, to within walking distance of the Cirque of the Unconnables. And then we spent 10 days in the climbing area just to hopefully give ourselves enough time with, with um, wet weather windows um, to climb the tower. And then it was two more weeks of paddling whitewater to get out. Wow. So of the 30 days, 20 days of them were, were paddling and 10 days in the climbing. Is Jacob, I mean, is he from a paddling background or is, is it something? No, not at all. <laughs> so how did that? Work? No, that's why we went with my family. So my whole, my family was running the whole river section. He was just kind of the clueless, like Gumby <laughs> coming along. And then when we got to the climbing area, he's the expert and we're all kind of like taking his, or he's taking the lead. He's learned. He's, he's done a, a fair share of paddling now that he's been with me for eight years, but. What a brilliant thing to do with your family, though. Absolutely yeah. amazing. I mean, and then when we actually climbed uh, the Lotus Flower Tower, we had this goal from the start that we wanted to get my dad to the top of it. And so my dad, who's 54 at the time and not a rock climber at all, we taught him how to jumar. He actually jumared quite a few of the pitches um, and then climbed some of the some of the pitches as well. But yeah, it was just like a completely wild experience. Like we climbed it over two days. So we divvied on like the middle of the face on overnight and then climbed the second half the second day. It was, it was pretty, pretty incredible that my dad was able to get to the top of that with us. That's like amazing memories must be. Yeah. What's next? I mean, I mean, have you got any, any dreams or what's, is it El Cap or is it more remote walls? What do you, you and Jacob, have you got any plans? You don't have to tell us. <laughs> oh no, I don't mind taking secrets. It's more, it's just um a bit tricky right now with the pandemic. I don't really feel like it's difficult to make plans because sort of rules are constantly changing. Um, and at the same time, I think it's not a great time to be advocating a lot of travel and, and you know, a lot of definitely in Canada, the mindset is kind of try and stay more local if you can um, and not not do like a ton of trips. And that way you're kind of like limiting your potential vector of the, of the virus. So um, yeah, I don't have any, don't have any like big trips planned right now. This summer, I'm hoping to take the rock, um, the full rock exam, which means I'll be um, sort of fully qualified as a rock guide. Um, right now, I just have the apprentice certification. And so once I get the full qualification, it means I can work um, freelance, like I work basically do do anything. I'm running like a big wall clinic this summer, um, which I'm really excited about in Squamish. Yeah, so I've got some goals in that area. Um, and then I also do really want to go back to Yosemite. It's been a few seasons since we've been there. Um, the last time I was there was when I freed Free Rider and that was um, like two and a half years ago now. And I, yeah, I have some some big goals on, on LCAP that I'd like to get back to in the near future. And you know, working at making, making your passion uh your job i mean you've i guess you've done it before because you you've worked on rivers mm -hmm. that background you, you know you're doing it in climbing as well uh, not everybody can do that can they i mean it's one of those things that people think oh yeah i'll you know live the dream but for some reason it doesn't um work for them obviously it works for you 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 have that um ability yeah to i love it i just like get completely different i guess enjoyment joy um from that avenue of climbing like, 
I have my own like personal goals and my own big like ambitions and things that I'm really excited about for me. And then have this whole other area where I'm enabling other people to p- pursue like their own progression and their own goals and, and their own sort of aspirations. And I, I don't feel like focus on one doesn't pull away focus from the other really. Good for you. Um, well, it's been, it's been great to chat. I'm just trying to think, how do you, uh, how do you relax? You know, you've got, <laughs> what's your, do you have rest days? I do have rest days. Yep. <laughs> what's your idea? Uh, Jacob makes fun of me. He says I'm really bad at relaxing actually. <laughs> I tend to like on my rest days have um I really like lists I always have like a to-do list going on and so on my rest day I I tend to like try and work through my to-do list which I think is resting because I'm I'm not doing anything physically but Jacob Jacob tells me that I need to like be better at relaxing <laughs> yoga or something maybe getting into boxing. <laughs> I just have all these personal projects that I'm like always working on. I, I really like writing. I, I'm like amateur level, like photography. And we've been, we make these little film edits sometimes too. And I just, I don't know. My rest days end up being filled by all these little sort of personal projects. And yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot going on there, which is good. Just to finish, I was thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, what would be your perfect night out in nature? Are you more of a Bibby ledge, a Porter ledge or a, a, a snow hole? <laughs> oh, not the snow hole. No, no hole. <laughs> I would, imagine, I would imagine a bivy ledge out on a big wall somewhere. That's your kind of perfect. Yeah, I, I love sleeping on the wall. I think being on a port ledge, just like in the middle of a blank cliff face, it just feels like the most wild and like ridiculous place for a human being to find themselves. And yeah, I'll, I don't think the exposure and like the kind of surrealness of that will ever will ever get old. I just love it. Um, actually, so a friend... We have friends in Squamish who um, who make these inflatable portal edges. They're called the grade seven pods. I don't know if you've heard of those. No, um, it's interesting. Yeah, they're they're like these inflatable portal edges, um, which are really great. Um, we we use them, Jacob and I, when I free climb Cap. and we also use them on Baffin Island actually um, for one of our one of our ascents. But yeah, they they're actually like more comfortable and more exposed because they're single they're like a single basically like a glorified thermarest like with straps um <laughs> that you're sleeping on on the side of the cliff so um i would choose i would choose to be sleeping on one of those in the middle of Elkab. just don't just don't sort of prick it with a pin during the night i guess <laughs> yeah three thousand feet up so listen if you imagine you were you were stuck in a storm for 10 days somewhere let's say on Elkab, you're in your port ledge but you, you can have <laughs> one meal the same meal every day what 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 is it what's your favorite meal oh this is funny so <laughs> jacob went to mexico like i know this is this is related i'm i have a story here though <laughs> jacob went to mexico a couple winters ago um and when he came back he was he had completely become obsessed with tacos and we basically ate tacos <laughs> for every dinner for I, I think about six months following that trip <laughs> like why would you make anything else they're simple fast easy delicious healthy and so we've we've already done like six months of tacos and that seemed to go pretty well so so maybe i'll get back on the taco train for this storm (laughs) you you can have one luxury item in your store in the store what would that be jacob and i have like a a bit of a tradition of of bringing like completely useless kind of hilarious like inflatable animals i guess on various big expeditions um, 
So like the first time we climbed Freerider together, we had this uh, like life size of human size, like inflatable shark, which we hauled up the wall the whole time. Um, we actually made a film of that. <laughs> um, and and then on Baffin Island, we had these like this again, like human size, like inflatable um, pink flamingo, which we on rest days like rode down ra- rode down the rapids in on <laughs> when we like camped next to a rapids. We would like awesome. And take turns like running the set like on this ridiculous thing flamingo. So I could say that, but that would be that would be a pretty boring ten days, just me and a flamingo. So I think probably something I have to like I have to get to my to-do list. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know what? I think maybe right now I'm actually kind of interested in languages. I've been like I like grew up learning French. I grew up pretty close to Quebec uh, in Canada and it is like the the second national language. But I tend to spend a lot more time in Spanish speaking countries. Um, with like Spain and Mexico and and uh, I haven't been yet but I, I hope to go to South America at some point and so I'm I'm right now trying to learn Spanish so maybe if this storm happened like right now I would I would like to bring my like Spanish lessons you can have that <laughs> then I can like you know get get productive while I'm waiting on this storm brilliant listen Bronwyn it's been fantastic to chat thanks so much for your time and it's been awesome to hear about your adventures all the best um, yeah same to you thanks for having me Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe. And I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon.